Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, it's an absolutely delightful chat. And I'm chatting to Ben Harding. And I met Ben, I think we talk about this at the beginning anyway, but um, my band supported Ben um, when Ben was um, in the census things um, in the, uh, I guess, the, the early to mid-90s. And then Ben went on to to be um, in Three Colours Red. Um, and we, we, we talk about uh, Ben's career um, in and around discussing some fantastic records on today's episode. And uh, you know you've had a good chat when when the podcast is over and you carry on chatting. And I could have carried on chatting to Ben for hours, um, but I could see my dog uh, at the uh, at the window needing to uh, to go for a walk. So I had to I had to uh, go and take him for uh, for his evening walk. Um, but we, we we spoke about catching up and, and having a pint, and and I'm going to try and get Ben back on to do a another episode where uh, we discuss gigs and. Uh, and, and touring and, and, and that stuff, which occasionally we, we, we do with guests. We get them back on and we, we, we switch the questions up and, and had such a lovely chat uh, today. I really want to try and um, get that one recorded as well. Um, like I say, you're in for a treat with this one. And before that chat gets going, um, just a few thank yous. I want to thank the team at the Blue Murder Club uh, True Crime Podcast um, because they produce this pod. Go check that out. A fantastic episode out recently with... Um, uh, with Colin Sutton, I, I can't can't recommend that one enough. Um, and also, I want to thank Scroobius Pip and everyone at the Distraction Pieces Network. Uh, and the biggest thanks always go to you lot um, for listening to this podcast, supporting it. Um, we're well over five hundred episodes now, and uh, and we're not slowing down. We're having such fun, and all the time I get to press record and have a conversation like the one you're about to hear, I'm not going anywhere with this podcast because it's just so much fun. And what's better than talking to kind people about nice records and uh, and interesting lives? And uh, and that's what you're going to get today. Um, if it's your first time listening uh, and you've 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 jumped on this because uh, you were fans of uh, the Census Things or Free Colors Red, then um, if you like music from the years that they were they were putting out records, go check out the back catalogue. As I said, over 500 episodes. You can hear me talking to the likes of Jesus Jones, Carter, The Wonder Stuff. Um, EMF um, through to Suede, um, lots of a blur. Uh, they've they've all been on, and uh, 
So yeah, go and explore the back catalogue. There's loads I've missed, um, but just go and have a good old rummage. And while you're over there, click that little subscribe button. And uh, and also, we're on Facebook. I say we. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, what's the other one? X, it's called now, isn't it? Um, if you just search Off The Beat and Track uh, Podcast, then you'll find it. Give us a little follow on there, uh, a little like, love, share, retweet, whatever it is you do. Um, just to get the word out there, to keep those algorithms going or whatever it is that perpetuates this podcast into other people's ear holes. Um, other than that, just go old school and nudge your mate and tell them there's this old lispy fella from, from Essex that gets overexcited talking about music with wonderful people. Um, yeah, other than that, everything you need to know. I won't bore you with the Patreon stuff, um, but it's there. If you'd like to support the podcast, it does cost you a dollar a month, but you get loads of other stuff. And you can watch all the episodes over there like this one. Um, but your one-stop shop to find out where you can do all of the stuff that I've just mentioned is our website, and it's Off The Beat and Track Podcast. It's beat and, not beaten. Off The Beat and Track Podcast.com. The links will be in the show notes, so um, go and explore them. But right now, please enjoy today's wonderful episode of Off The Beat and Track Podcast with the delightful Ben Harding. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Okay, we are recording. Ben, how are you today? Uh, I'm all right. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, pretty good. Wonderful. I'm cur- currently up in Suffolk seeing my mum. Oh, lovely, lovely, lovely! Mm. It's uh, do you know what? It's funny enough. I've been looking um, to. I'm, I'm based in Essex, and I've had enough of it. I'm not going to lie, and uh, and Suffolk's appealing. Uh, I'm actually going down mm-hmm. there at the weekend, and uh, yeah, having a little look about. I fancy that part of the woods. Yeah, it's nice. I, I've known Suffolk all my life. I mean, I'm based in London, but uh, uh, m- my family, my mum's side of the family, is kind of for the whole of my life has been in Suffolk. So I'm very familiar with it. If you need some tips, let me know. I will. I will. I mean, we have met before many, many, many years ago. You won't recall. It was, it was, uh, it was probably what? 93 maybe. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the senseless things played at my venue, the pink toothbrush in Rayleigh. And, uh, and I was the support support band corner shop. I believe might've been tour support. And uh, not not tour support, because uh, I would know them an awful lot better than I do. I right. think that was probably a one-off. Oh, okay. I think I think I think the pink toothbrush was a one-off. It's one of those gigs that sticks in your head. I've got I've got kind of vague, flashy memories of it. Okay. Do you know what I mean? It's like if I think pink toothbrush, really, I've only ever been there once in my life, and that was that night. Yeah. And. Um, I've got, I've got kind of Saturday night beneath the plastic palm trees kind of vibe <laughs> off it. If you remember that track from yes. back in nineteen seventy eight, seventy seven, seventy eight, um, uh, and I remember it was dark. It was a really dark venue. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean this is what I'm seeing in my my kind of memories. I and my memory is notoriously bad. Okay. I've got friends who remember the census these days for me, you know, super fans who yeah. are now actual, like what some of my closest mates who remember stuff I would never hope of remembering. Okay. 
you, know, you paint the picture. I was having, and I'll, partly I'll... because I was having far too much time, <laughs> far too much of a fun time, and uh, partly because every night was kind of the same. You yeah. know, yeah, of course. Uh, hurry up and wait, play the gig. You know, yeah. um, but the pink toothbrush sticks out um, just because it was the pink toothbrush, and you don't forget a name like that or a place right. like that. And it was, uh, you know, I, I remember kind of slightly labyrinthine and dark and neon and or or uv or some such i remember black and popping neon colors am i right you are yeah well, uh, that's not bad mate that's not bad yeah there's a little back then there was a neon pink toothbrush sign um that you would have seen from the stage above the bar like yeah yeah oh well remembered well, mate. there you go that kind of just, that just kind of went into my eyes and never left you know Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, look, let's kick off your playlist and uh, and we, we, we'll discuss uh, your career as this this pod unfolds. Um, sure. But let's kick things off with uh, the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please, Ben. Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to cheat on all of these, right? Okay. Because because there's never one definitive answer. Okay. Uh, I mean, my, my kind of, the way I come to music is as a fan, really, you know. Um, because that's how I learned to play guitar. It was always by playing along to stuff. Uh, so the track I've chosen for greatest intro is um, Alternative Ulster by Stiff Little Fingers. Oh, it's a cracker, isn't it? It is a cracker. Um, it's it's slightly linked in with the, those kind of really formative years when, when you're a musician and you don't yet know you're a musician. Um, when... Kind of when punk really started to take a hold of me, and I mean, I'd uh, I'd seen the Stranglers before um, before that when I was younger, didn't get it. But six months later, I bought um, I bought Rational Vegicus. But this song, I was introduced to Stiff Little Fingers by a friend of mine at school, um, who was for, yeah, he was from an Irish background, um, and. He introduced me to Stiff Little Things and the Wolf Tones and Irish Republicanism. <laughs> so, you know, I, in one fell swoop, I kind of learned kind of politics from a very visceral level. Yeah. And I learned uh, punk rock from a different angle to which I'd known it before. But musically, what this did for me was it was that it was that intro, and it was the harmony, the harmonising, and the fact that you've got two strings going, and you've got one string creating a harmony with the other for a riff. And um, the first time I heard that, it blew my mind. Not least because I thought I can go home right now and I can play that. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I did. I remember distinctly, I left my friend Connor's house and I went home and I picked up my, I, I think I had a really crappy kind of um, strap copy at the time, bright red and really awful, highest action. But I could still play that. Yeah. And it was out of tune. I mean, the intonation was out at the time. I had no clue. Um, but that intro for me was not just an intro to a song. It was an intro to I can play that. Yeah. Yeah. So... That was it. That, that was me started on the path. How old would so, you have been then, Ben? Oh, Christ. When did Alternative Arts come out? 78. 
Uh, 13. Right. Oh, so they're, they're important years, aren't they? And and to kind of get yeah. that. So what you're saying you got from that, when you say you knew you could go and play it, was was that already kind of planting the seed of that sort of, I guess that sort of punk ethos of like, well, we can do this. Like yeah. That. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but that was the first time that there was a practical application to that. Yeah. You know. Um, uh, because, you know, I had, uh, at, at 13, I had Ratznor Vegicus. I, I had possibly a couple of, um, you know, like X-ray specs, single, maybe, maybe another couple of bits and pieces, but it was still early days. I was still pretty young yeah, and I wasn't that self-confident when I was in my, my early teens. Yeah. You know, so I was, um, I kind of, um, uh, and I didn't have a lot of money, um, you know, uh, so I didn't, I, and I wasn't going out and buying records on the regular or anything like that. You know, my new records came at Christmas. Yeah. You know, that was that was the period when I was getting Queen's latest LP. Yeah. Uh, like every Christmas from my grand because she knew. And I knew that Queen's Queen had this brilliant habit of releasing their latest LP in early December. Yeah. So that basically it goes to number one over Christmas. Yeah. And everybody would buy it for their kid. You know, and that was the that was the the kind of uh the height of what Queen were doing, you know, because it was Day at the Races, Night at the Opera, blah, blah, blah. Um, so where was I going with that? So um so yeah, I wasn't going out and buying records a lot, but the ones I did have, most of them I couldn't play along to. Yeah, you know, obviously, obviously I'm not Brian May, but I could be Jake Burns. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So uh, I mean, I'm I'm really curious around this this time period of like that kind of sort of tail end of the seventies as it sort of turned into the eighties, and I I was talking to someone the other day about it, just watching some of the sort of retrospective top of the pops. That yeah. they put on on a Friday, and uh, and and when you watch, you, you see the sort of chart countdown around sort mm. of seventy eight, seventy nine, eighty. It's a fucking crazy mix of yeah, kind of punk and you know the talent of punk and post punk and yeah, the, the early knockings of scar, and then you've got the mm. talent of disco. And yeah. like, and then there was just everything was happening yeah. all at once, and like, all at once. How was yeah. that being like fourteen, fifteen, and just being surrounded by all these these interesting oh, and, and new romanticism brilliant. as well? Obviously, was you know yeah, electronic exactly. music was starting to kick as well. Yeah, and you, and you realise that all that stuff happened in like a five year period. Yeah, and it's all the best music, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong; there's so much good stuff now, but it's a very different thing because. You also had the culture of it. You also had the kind of phenomenon of um, of appointment TV, right? So Top of the Pops was the definitive thing that was happening to the youth, mm. you know, because that's how young people define themselves and express themselves. You had your tribe. You're going to move between tribes a bit because, you know, you could be a punk rocker and Scar came along and you went, oh, I'll have some of that, Yeah, you know. Um, but it suited some people more and they got more into it. But then there were crossover. There's crossover stuff like the jam, you know. And yeah. it's um, oh my god, it was the best time yeah. to be a kid. Yeah, it was just amazing. 
mean, you had to contend with the rivalries. You know, there was the. I mean, at, at school, you had the punks and you had the soul boys. Yeah. You know, never the twain shall meet. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, in my in like in relatively recent years, I've rediscovered what they were all about, and I bloody love Haircut One Hundred now. Yeah. You know, and I bloody love Sade and yeah. all that stuff that was going on at the same time. It's- you it's know, interesting because it, it's still it's still my youth. It was yeah. still playing. It was still there in the background, you know. And and you see these, you know, you you, you, you hear these interviews with the likes of Don Letts and 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 whatnot, and they're, and they're referencing, oh. you know, the fact that reggae was filtering into the, the punk clubs. But then you know, there's there's all these kind of you know, it's documented that that Lyland and the Clash were going to Lacey Lady in London and 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 going mm. to the Soul Nights as well. So it, you know, it must yeah. have been such a fantastic time to, to, yeah. to, to, to I'd say to be in your kind of your formative years of, of, of learning and being exposed to all this kind of good or bad like in, in tribalism but just you know having so much going on because I as as I look at it now but I probably have no place to be looking at it as a 50 year old man I don't see as much tribalism in music now as what there was in then no. and, and, and throughout the 80s and, and, and probably most of the 90s as well um, which you know, I, I guess he's a, a a sad thing, but um, I think it's down. I just think that's down to the availability of everything all 100%, the time. 100%. You know, whatever you want, you can go out and find it. So, yeah. so I don't think that kind of thing. I don't think it could exist now. Yeah, I don't. You know, I mean, there there are kind of there are tribes. I mean, the K-pop thing is a really good example. Metal, metal's always got to be a, a metal, tribe. A metal, metal always was and always will be yeah. a tribe and i'm part of that tribe yeah as well as being part of the punk tribe more yeah. so now i think you know i, I don't know i but I, then i don't define myself as a metaler yeah you know i mean i i love the idea of extremity yeah but when i have to listen to it for more than 20 minutes i get tired yeah. you know yeah. so for something to be metal and to appeal to me it's got to be clever and melodic as well so I mean, my ideal band in that particular genre right now is Kvilertak from okay. Norway, and I was trying to I was trying to find a way of kind of wedging them into the questions you sent me. Well done. And I couldn't find one. I couldn't <laughs> find one. It. <laughs> no, I mean there was one. There was one, uh, and I'll talk about. I'll I'll mention it when it comes up. But then I was thinking, well, what song is that? That I'm thinking of, and it was it was for this question. What's the best intro? And the answer is it's a Kvalertak song. But I've been through all their albums a bit earlier, and I can't for the life remember which one it is. <laughs> well, message me when you do, and, uh, yeah, and, and we'll add it to the the, the Spotify playlist. The playlist. I yes, want to pick absolutely. back up on Top of the Pops yeah. as well a little later. Uh, yeah, because you know the, the the excitement of watching it in in them formative years to then going on it I want to know all about that later but right now I'm going to ask you to tell me the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you please Ben okay uh, for this I've chosen um, the the song that everybody nicks off me for every podcast I've ever been on right Uh, and this is uh, in uh, which is 21st Century Schizoid Man by King Crimson Okay, and the reason the reason I've chosen it for the question about provoking an emotion is number one the sleeve of that album, which is of In the Court of the Crimson King, which is really scary when you're about six or seven years old and you find it in your parents' record collection. But then you put the record on, you know, and I have plenty of opportunity to do that. 
uh, <clears throat> and you've got this kind of wheezing kind of grim it sounds almost like a dungeon a torture dungeon and kind of weird engines going in the background and then all of a sudden it goes into this massive metal riff proto metal riff which in turn goes into some mad kind of jazz exploration yeah and then comes back and it's just a complete head fuck mm. and so that, I mean, it was shocking. I can't remember the first time I listened to it, but mm. I listened to it a lot when I was very, very young, you know. So, um, I mean, you talk about provoking emotion and it's all in there. And I was reading and absorbing those lyrics, right, which which are, uh, it's horrific, you know. Um, um, you know, um, cat's foot, iron claw, Neurosurgeons scream for more at paranoia's poisoned or 21st century schizoid man. And it just goes on in that vein. And it's like, and I knew that these were really awful, awful images that were being kind of generated in my head. I didn't understand them really, but I knew they were awful. You know, because the the distorted vocal on it and, but also that was one of the first times that the distorted guitar became a really impressive sound to me. So it's provoking all sorts of stuff within me. And that, if I can point out, that was from my dad's side of the record collection. I don't know why he had it. You know, I mean, dad wasn't really a big rock guy. He liked he liked the blues and he liked uh, Eric Clapton, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, my dad was a jazz guy, really. Um, He's a, he was a he is or at least I haven't heard him playing recent years, but he's an excellent jazz pianist. This is the kind of guy who'll go to Cuba, and he'll get on the piano in the hotel with all the Cubano kind of musicians, and they will all go, "You're not bad." And South Africa, he's done that. Yeah. So you know what I mean. He's a he's a bit of a show off from time to time, but uh, but he's very good. And um, my mom also is musical. She sings. Um, and um, and on my mum's side, I mean, this is where I'm going to cheat again, and I'm going to bring in another early recollection of something really grabbing me, uh, and that was Steel I Span, Parcel of Rogues LP. Okay. Um, and that's where my love of folk music comes from, and I do love folk music. I absolutely love it. Um, but Steel I Span were a bit different because they were the new thing, which was electric folk, them and Pentangle and all that, mm. all those people. Um, and there's a song on Parcel of Rose called Alison Gross, which I loved when I was seven or eight years old because it's about a witch. Okay, so this is a very relatable story. Um, but it's also got this incredible kind of electric, distorted electric Telecaster guitar from I think Martin Carthy playing. Um, and it is just mind blown when you're a kid. Yeah. So, but again, it's got the most distorted guitar I'd ever heard at that point. And it must be a real kind of proper old school fuzz pedal on it. Um, so that was it. And, and again, this is so formative for me because it was that distorted guitar sound, which led me down the path to where I was going to end up. It's so important. It's, it's 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 so incredible that you know 
even at, at, at that age, you can recall and, and find yourself drawn to mm. a glorious racket of like, what's this? Like, this is, yeah. you know, this is abrasive and yeah and and i I tell you what it's when you sent the 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 list of songs over ben i i i uh, I was i was going through them all again today and when that king crimson uh album popped up even on spotify Mm. just a small little square on spotify that sleeve yet again just it just jolts you it's it's like it's it's such a powerful cover and you you know you're so used to seeing it on you know every kind of magazine or book about the 100 greatest record covers ever made and yeah it still hits hard every time you look at that it's It's such a stark you know piece piece of art it's fantastic and uh and and i and i get that you said that you know you I'm sure, you know, why would you not pull that out of a record, you know, out of a, a stack yeah. of records and, and go, what's this going to sound like? Because that's going to exactly. pull not you only, in. And not only that, but it's a gatefold. Yeah. So you open that up and it just goes off into infinity yeah, on yeah, the other course. side. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's, and it's weird. It's like pulsating pink. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Can red flesh. Yeah. You know. From on the front, it's it's of a, a screaming face, clearly in agony. Yeah, you know, and on the, on the other side, it's this ear just going off into infinity. You know, and it's like, bloody hell! And then the album <laughs> itself is such a massive variety because yeah. it goes from Schizoid Man into I think, um, oh shit, I can't remember. I can't remember what it's called, but it's really, it's a real quiet track and really kind of, uh, it's not Moonchild, is it? Anyway, you know what I mean? And yeah. all of a sudden it's kind of dragging you all down different paths, uh, left, right and centre. And then it finishes with, um, finishes with uh, In the Court of the Crimson King, which just goes on and on and on yeah. and on. And it's in about five acts. And, you know, I mean, I found myself listening to an, uh, uh, a two or three hour podcast about that one album wow. recently. Yeah. And found myself 
disagreeing violently with one of the protagonists <laughs> on that about the drum sound on it. And then, you know, she was just saying, oh, that drum sound, it's, it's so awful. And I was going, no, it isn't. It really isn't because it's unique to that record. Yeah. And actually, I love it because that snare is just so kind of thin and high, but hard, you know, and it just pokes out of the mix. And anyway, I could go on that. I could go on about that for hours like they do, but I won't. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you to stay in the formative years for this track and tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please, Ben. Yeah, right. Okay. I had to think long and hard about this one as well because, I mean, school time is at the school. Your school days is a long period right, of time, yeah. you know? So I went from being one thing to being something entirely different by the by the end of it. I mean, at the beginning of it, I was buying the Wombles' first LP. Yeah. Right? And by the end of it, I was buying Black Sabbath's entire back catalog. So, you know, I had to think quite carefully. But the one, f- the the track for me that really crystallises it is Tiger Feet by Mud. Yeah. And this is for me intimately associated with the end of week disco at a school trip to the Brecon Beacons when I was probably about thirteen. I suppose. So right on the cusp of adolescence, really awkward. Um, I might even have been younger, you know, but Tiger Feet was still around. Uh, I'm guessing this would have been 75, 76. So actually, yeah, I must have been younger, 10 or 11. But there was a disco at the end. And um, Tiger Feet was the one song to which... All the boys knew the dance because we'd seen it on top of the pops. Yeah. Where you stuck your fingers in your belt loops. Yep. And you did that. <laughs> you know, and, and by that, for your listening only uh, viewers, is where you stick your thumbs in your belt loops and you do the elbows out and forward and back. Uh, and executed perfectly, by the way, and you Go back. Thank you. I still remember it. It's muscle memory, <laughs> you know. But that was the one where everybody knew the dance because we'd seen it on top of the pops a, yeah. few, a couple of weeks earlier, and uh, uh, or oh, yeah, and it was just, you know, it was like a, a meeting of minds, you know what I mean? I mean, and so for me, it just kind of um, it's one of the tracks that kind of just epitomises that glam era. Yeah, you know, I mean, Mud weren't particularly glam. They they. I mean, Taurus was, let's face it, uh, you know, with the earrings and the curly hair and, and the kind of pantsuit. Um, but at the same time, their, their shtick was a bit more kind of 50s throwback. Um, but uh, so for me, that, that that's just a signifier. For, but for me, glam was really important, you know, again, because I've moved on from like my mum and dad's record collection to paying attention to Top of the Pops. And so it was, yeah, so it was sweet for me, was the band of that era, you know. So, I mean, this is the bit where I should be saying Ballroom Blitz. Yeah. But it wasn't, that wasn't the one that really kind of, that was me at at home watching Top of the Pops. It wasn't really about school. But, um, but no, for me, Sweet were really, uh, were really it. Because do you know what? I, and this pre, this this kind of prefigure what came later because because Sweet were basically a hard rock band yeah. uh, who who were uh, who were performing pop songs, 
but in that kind of format. And, you know, you listen to that back catalogue now, and it's about as hard as anything got yeah. back then, you know. And I loved them to death. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so strange. <clears throat> when people talk uh, glam, you know, I'm, I'm just a couple of years uh, younger, and, and, I, and I miss that. And, mm. and, and for me, when people say glam, I instantly think Bowie, you know, T-Rex. And, See, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't get Bowie. And, and, I like, don't, and I'm not a fan of T-Rex. And what's strange is the band that gets spoken about the most on this podcast, without mm. a shadow of a doubt, is The Sweet. Yeah. And, I, and, it, and for me, my knowledge was always just Ballroom Blitz and, and, and Phylum yeah. Next to Mud as not quite a proper glam band like the others. But since... Really? Like early on in this podcast, yeah. I think the first person, Alan McGee, was just telling me that it's one of his yeah. favourite bands. I was like, oh, I'm going to go and yeah, listen to some I more totally sweet. Get that. And then it's just yeah, totally come get that. thick yeah. and fast. The amount of people that go, yeah. oh, it's all about the sweet. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, it really is. It yeah. really is. I mean, I, it's so weird. I went to see PJ Harvey at the Roundhouse yeah. a few weeks ago. And uh, and as after the gig had finished, um, you know, I don't know if you know about the roundhouse, but it takes ages to get out. I do, so yeah. I, was, I was standing there. I was just talking to the, this uh, female bouncer. Um, and I said, so, you know, do you enjoy that? Um, and she said, not really my thing, but I'm really looking forward to seeing the suite, you know, because they're, they're playing here soon. And I went, oh, I tell you. And there was that. There's that connection. And she yeah. was probably in her late 40s, yeah. you know, maybe early 50s. Um, yeah, everybody loves the sweet. Once you really get down to it, yeah. and, and you say to people, so where are you going to draw the line with, with glam? Yeah. You know, you'll either get the Bowie heads just going, Bowie, nothing else. Yeah. And, you know, oh, yeah, I like Bowie. I got I got a little sampler flexi disc on one of my on one of my pop magazines yeah. back in the day. I mean, I used to, I used to buy, I used to regularly buy pop swap magazine, you know, which is aimed at girls yeah. basically, but I wanted those posters, you yeah. know, I wanted those posters. I wanted the lyrics uh, because I was obsessed with pop music. Yeah. Was, you know, was music a legit consideration for a career when you was at school? No. What did you no, want to do no. at school? Uh, well, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I think I probably wanted to be a bit of a Nepo baby and go into the BBC, like yeah. my dad. Um, and I did to start with, you know. I'm not saying having having a, a dad who was a bit of a hire at the BBC helped me get a job, but it probably did, yeah. you know. Um, but, I mean, with that job, they offered me a promotion and I turned it down because I was about to go on tour. <laughs> I say I can't commit. Yeah, honestly, I can't commit. I think something might be happening. But that's where your loyalty's you know? clearly laid, then, wasn't it? It was like, yeah, 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 I, yeah, I know what I want to no, do. No, but 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 you know, my guitar playing at home wasn't a hobby; it was an obsession. I was doing it all the time. Yeah, you know, mum would mum would come home, and she and and we lived in what's now a pretty posh bit of Chiswick in West London, and. Um, she she would come in and she would say, I can hear you playing guitar from Turnham Green. Yeah, from the tubes. <laughs> and uh, and that was that was a good two hundred yards down the road. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't I didn't 
I didn't kind of uh, stint on the volume when I was playing because that's what excited me, you know. Yeah. And tell me about like the the sort of the the kind of formation of of, of senseless things and how 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 mm. you know how you sort of fitted into to that and 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 how that jigsaw started getting put together. Well, um, I I didn't have a lot to do with it, if I'm honest. I mean, you had uh, you had Mark and Cass who'd known each other forever from school, I think. And they were in bands from the age of about 11 or 12, because I, I think because they were both kind of misfits and, you know, didn't really get on with the, with the discipline of schools. Uh, and I think, I think they both had difficult kind of home lives as well. So they gravitated towards, towards each other. Um, Morgan was was I think on the periphery of their friendship circle, and you know I mean they they got together as as like a trio with a couple of other kids, um, like before I came on the scene at all. I I wasn't part of their circle. I was uh, four five years older than both than all of them um <clears throat> but i found them basically through my brother my brother was in a band called the milk monitors he knew mark and he was obviously three years younger than me so he was in that kind of orbit and got to know i think got to know mark and cass and morgan by then like through mutual friends kind of thing and by that time they had moved on and were around about the kind of crowd that was going to Richmond College. And basically, I think my, my brother heard on the grapevine that they were looking for another guitar player who could actually play. And of course, by by dint of being a few years older than them, I could play by now. Yeah. So I was in my, I met them when they were about 15 or 16. Uh, uh, and, or Cass was 14, I think. And I was already, you know, 19 or 20. So I was, I was really looking for an outlet. Mm. Uh, and that's how that started, you know? So, and it was, it was practicing in musty cellars and, you know, kind of, but, but Mark was such a kind of wheeler dealer. He, he would go out and he knew that you, you had to go out and find stuff and make stuff happen. You know, so he would get his gigs and he would like <clears throat> just just kind of organize it so that we got stuff done and stuff yeah. started to happen. Every know? band needs so, someone to do that, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he would write to people. Um, you know, and once the band kind of started generating a bit of heat, then he would completely run our fan club and, and he would anyone who wrote to the address that we put on flyers, he'd write back to them, you know? Yeah. So he just engaged, engagement, 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 engagement. He, he knew that from the very word go that it's about engagement and you kind of pull people into your orbit and keep them there and keep them interested and kind of let them know what's going on, send out little newsletters, whatever. <laughs> and this is all, you know, these are all done on uh, what you would call it on, um, 
uh, all done on kind of Xerox machines. Yeah. You know, and he would use the, he'd use a college Xerox machine to run off a couple of hundred flyers, you know, and, and he'd go out and he'd deliver them. He'd go to, he'd hang around about at gigs and hand them out to say, we're going to play somewhere. You know, so that's really, that's how he kind of started to generate the interest okay. uh, around the band. And we just played, we just played and played and played. Yeah. And snagged any gig we could. Yeah. You know, so. We'll pick back up uh, in a moment on, on that. But before we do that, if you can tell me the song um, that was the first uh, track that you bought from a record store, please. Yeah, do you know, I, I thought hard about this. Uh, and and the, the quick answer is I can't remember, which is why I'm looking at my notes. Because uh, I have to ask myself, was it though? Yeah. You know? Um. And the honor, the honest answer is I don't know. The honest answer is I have not the foggiest idea. What was the first, uh, the first single I bought? Um, it might well have been "Ever Fallen in Love with Someone You Shouldn't Have" by the Buzzcocks. Yeah. And I remember just that run of number one hits they had uh, at around that time, just coming out of another music in a different kitchen into. Um, love bites and and it was just perfect do you know what i mean and it was it's perfect so Buzz perfect. got to number one with those songs which which are just the most brilliant heartbreaking songs and they're you know? and they're pop songs as well they're so yeah, infectious exactly Th this is really important to me i mean like i said metal's great but it's got to have the melody it's got to have kind of a pop edge for mm. me um again punk rock it's fine, but I'm not a big fan of Discharge, for example, or GBH. Punk rock for punk rock's sake, if you see yeah, what yeah, I yeah. mean. And yeah. Really spiky air, the leather bristle studs and acne, all that stuff. And and like what I would call deliberately stupid punk. People mistaking punk for deliberately being thick mm -hmm. and violent. You know, I didn't get that. What I did get was Pete Sherry being really arch. Mm. And when you look back on it, obviously gay, mm -hmm. you know, and bringing that kind of sensibility into it. Um, and, uh, yeah, and you're right, just perfect pop, really simple, straight to the heart, no messing, yeah. and talking about stuff that is really important to you as a teenager, Yeah, you know, really you know fucked up relationships i mean census things lifted wholesale from yeah. that you know one of our one of our earlier gigs was uh supporting um supporting steve diggle's flag of convenience at right. the sir george Ro sir george roby and that was the first review we ever got yeah um might might even who, who was it it might have been kathy unsworth who wrote that review i think it probably was um, and yeah, and and part of the reason for that, I think, is that we worship Steve Diggle as a former buzzcock, yeah. you know, and and that's that's how uh, we might even have got got that gig because Mark somehow swung it yeah. with Steve Diggle, you know, um, because. We fucking loved the Buzzcocks. They were everything we wanted to be. Yeah. You know, write a punchy three-minute pop or two-minute 
song yeah. that tugs your heartstrings, but has buzzsaw guitars, but still has a melody. Yeah. That was the model, you know? So there you go. That's what we did. So from playing like the, the and let's call it the toilet circuit, um, you know, whether it be the George Roby and, and, and as you said, like, you know, Mark was booking you these, these gigs and you was playing as often as you can. And then I, I guess you then start to sort of, appear on radars a little bit further outside of, of, of London and people are starting getting wise and we're reading reviews about the sense of things. And then, you know, fast forward to, you know, the release of, I guess, Homophobic Arsehole and, and, and uh, uh, Easy to Smile and such. You find yourself on top of the pops. Like, mm. tell me... Not with Homophobic not with Homophobic. No, it was Easy to Smile, wasn't it, first? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and tell me about the day that that you you got that phone call saying you're going on top of the pops and i'm going to load this question and now you're asking <laughs> uh did it deliver your expectations of going on top of the pops and can you remember who else you was on there with Christ. this is the first time obviously i'm, I'm presuming you was on there no. several times with three colors red as well yeah uh twice maybe okay. Okay. I, I think twice but like most of my entire career with sense things, my memory is awful about that. I don't really remember who else was on uh, was on with us, unless maybe was it Blue Pearl, Spice Girls? Yeah, okay. I, I don't know. I see. I may be conflating because I have been on top of the pops a few times. Yeah, you know, but. As I said, my memory is absolutely abysmal. I, I so wish I'd get to diary now. Yeah. You know? um, but I can remember the experience was probably exactly what you would expect it to be. It's actually very well choreographed by a really brilliant floor team who know exactly what they're doing. And you just fit into the machine that is Top of the Pops. You know, there is no room for fucking about or being an asshole. Yeah. I mean, it's made very clear to you that everyone's expected to be a bit professional about it, you know? Even for a bunch of scamps like us who were usually up for being a little bit iconoclastic kind of thing. No, no, no. This is the all-hallowed top of the box. But it says something about it, I think, that my main memory from the first time we did it was... uh, was hanging out with the EastEnders cast in in the bar afterwards because of course it was at, recorded at L Street then. yeah and the next the next stage along was EastEnders I mean you know Albert Square was just around the back of the building fantastic um, it was fantastic and you know there is Barbara Windsor catching a fag off me wow you know and she was lovely. <laughs> She was really, really, really lovely. I mean, she was clear. Used to meeting all the bands who were kind of coming up. Yeah. Top of the Pops looking a bit shell-shocked. Yeah. You know. Oh, fantastic. Uh, that is great. I, I mean, I love that. That was brilliant. Yeah. You know, I also love the experience of getting a, you know, getting a, a car sent for you to take you up there and bring you back. Um, But actually, you know, the when I when I think about it, I mean, I look at it now and I kind of go, oh, yeah, I can't remember what was going on. Yeah. 
and we were all pros you know by the, by that point yeah. you know we'd learned the craft and we knew what we were doing so it wasn't kind of it wasn't that hard to nail it yeah i think i think at that point uh you had to sing live or mark had to sing live but the rest yeah. of us were miming yeah so it's just a case of putting on the best show you could yeah so yeah okay so I, I guess there was some going out there. I mean, I've seen uh, you, you give me a little kind of heads up on uh, on this, and uh, and this is the question I ask you um, about the the song soundtrack your years clubbing, and you've kind uh, of yeah. chose the same well, answer clubbing. as another five hundred guests of this podcast uh, that are all musicians. Of course, so you're course. in very very my, good company. But I bet my context is slightly different. It is okay. I mean, I never went clubbing you know the late 80s early 90s clubbing completely passed me by yeah i've never even done ecstasy yeah you know i must be almost unique for people of my generation because well maybe i had it once and it was great but you know what it certainly wasn't a lifestyle for me and i didn't go clubbing i was doing rock gigs for a living at the time you know so that's where i spent all of my time the clubs I went to were the ones in in the kind of darker recesses of the West End, like uh, like Alice in Wonderland and mostly Syndrome. Yeah. So where I got to hang out, hang out with the other kind of indie conjuscenti. So that's what I was doing. I was not going to clubs and losing my tits to mm-hmm. to kind of um, rave. I just wasn't. So I don't have a kind of you know. I don't have a kind of rave track to chuck into the mix. But as you said, I do have. So I thought, I thought, well, what was my nearest equivalent to that? And this kind of goes back to my, my, another of my teen hobbies, which was skateboarding. Mm. So not many people know this, but you remember the kids' TV show on ITV, their, their competitor to Blue Peter called Magpie, mm-hmm. right? Magpie came to my school to investigate the new craze of skateboarding <laughs> in 1976. So he had whatever his name was, with the big hair. That's right. Kind of try, trying skateboarding. And I was one of the kids tooling around on Magpie with my with my really shit, too short kind of brown corduroy flares and a really horrible kind of lime yellow helmet. You know, and my V-neck jumper with with kind of elbows missing, um, but kind of demonstrating on my really terrible skateboards this kind of new art of skateboarding. But I got better as a skateboarder a bit later in life, and I used to go down to a place called Rolling Thunder in Brentford. I get on, the, you know, get in the tube, go down to Kew uh, Bridge, and then down the road to. Uh, to Rolling Thunder, where you pay your quid. And it was a fabulous indoor skate park. So you had all the bowls and all that stuff. And there's a real kind of culture around it. So I was reading the American magazines that they imported and sold in the the newsagent underneath the pawn. And, um, And one of the important things about it was they had a big sound system in there and they would play what was current in that scene and what was current in that scene and this was 77 so it was star wars but it was also donna summer i feel love 
And that just went on forever and it was hypnotic and it was Giorgio Moroder and it was and it suited skateboarding down to the ground because you're just concentrating. So I loved it, you know, and that was my introduction to electronic music. That was my introduction to disco, you know, Starship Trooper was mm-hmm. another, I fell in love with the Starship Trooper. Yeah. Yeah. That was, Andrew, was, that Andrew, type... was that Andrew Lloyd Webber? It was, no. it was, was it Sarah Brightman I, that I'm sang it? Sh- oh, oh, it, yes, it probably was. Yeah. Now you mention it. Yeah. Yes, it probably was. It, it was just an attempt to kind of get on the back of Star Wars, yeah. the Star Wars craze and all that, and combine that with disco, which obviously it was massive at the mm. time. But that Donna Summer track, I mean, the, I can't remember what the, what the remix of it is. Oh, it's the, uh, the Patrick... Um, yes, that one. Uh, oh my god! Do you know but, what? It's like it's the same one, but it's just even better. Oh, how can you make that record better? Yet somehow he did. <laughs> like it's yes. fucking ridiculous. I'd never yeah. heard that, and I bought mm. more from S Express on very, very early on in this podcast, and yeah. and he chose it, and that he was like, and he was, "Have you heard this one?" And I was like, "Yeah, no." And no. it's like, I I, th- I think that is the greatest piece of electronic music ever, ever. Yeah, and yeah, how do you improve on Giorgio Moroder? I mean, <laughs> seriously. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, it, it, it's it's as close to perfect. I, I, I do, yeah. I do like a little bit of Super Nature by Sarone, but it's a it, he's a poor okay. man's. I feel love. But, well, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, but again, I've got. I've... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Kind of come to all of this stuff late. Um, uh, I'm glad I found it now. I mean, that along with like Northern Soul, yeah. blah, 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 you know. Perfect, perfect. It's really weird that yeah. you say that you didn't go clubbing and, and, and skateboarding was a big thing, and 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 the amount of people that have referenced skateboarding as well as as introducing yeah, the, the, them to music, but different eras, different eras, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're almost they're almost ten years apart. Yeah, you know, or slightly more than ten years apart. 
Uh, it's just I never kind of got clubbing as a thing. Mm. I always I always found it really kind of slightly intimidating. Although obviously it was the opposite of that. Yeah, I had a lot of friends who were really into it. Um, indeed, Mark really enjoyed going clubbing, and um, but it just really wasn't my thing. I was more of a goth at the time, yeah. you know, it's like the, the goth bit in me was a bit of a hangover from the late eighties. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I suppose ecstasy wasn't my drug really, you know? So yeah, I, I think I just didn't really get it. Yeah. Was there, was you going uh, to the kind of rock clubs like, um, in the sort of early nineties, like the, um, what was the one at Camden palace? I can't remember what that was called, but there was, there was lots of, uh, Again, not really. I mean, you know, I wasn't really exploring my heavy metal side at this point either. Mm. Fact is, I was playing gigs most of the time. Bear in mind, well, bear in mind that from 89 to 92, Sensor Things were playing around 200 plus gigs a year. Yeah, that's ridiculous. More in one or two of those years. We were playing almost 300 gigs a year. So frankly, when I wasn't playing gigs... I didn't want to go and see gigs. I didn't, <laughs> yeah. want to, I didn't want to listen to any fucking music. Yeah. I just wanted to sit at home and watch the bloody telly. Yes. Yeah. You know, and that's what I did. Okay. So, yeah, no, I mean, and and my social life revolved completely around my job. So, yeah. you know, if I went to a club, it'd be after a gig. Yeah. Because I needed to wind down and I needed to have a drink with some friends. And that's, that's exactly what I did. And they would have been... So, other sort of bands and your crew and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe not even the crew, you know, but um, uh, and maybe not even with my band, <laughs> you know. But I, if if I was going to go out, it would be to something to something like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, usually with yeah, usually where other bands would be hanging out because it'd be more people in bands and less people who are fans of bands. Yeah, sure. So so you you didn't have to kind of. Um, maintain that person you are, which isn't quite you, like um, post gig, pre and post gig. Yeah, I understand. You know, and and you can you can just hang around with people who kind of got it. Yeah. You know? Okay. For track six, uh, favorite mm. song from an artist from your home county, please, Ben. No, this was really hard as well because there's not much choice from Staffordshire. Uh, you talk about my home county, right? My home county is really London because that's where I've grown up from the age of 11. But I was not born in London. I was born in Stoke-on-Trent. So, um, you know, I could have gone the Guns N' Roses route here because Slash was mm-hmm. born exactly to the day, one year, I think, before me right. in the Royal Victoria Hospital, Stoke-on-Trent. So same place, exactly one year before, yep. 64. Um, but you know what? I don't like Guns N' Roses enough to give them a nod in this particular mm-hmm. rundown. And through researching for this question, I discovered that actually one of my all-time favourite artists comes from Staffordshire, from Burton-upon-Trent, ladies and gentlemen. I give you Joe Jackson, right? Mm. Now, there's another couple of add-ons to this because... With Joe Jackson, I find it really hard to choose between his eras. There were the first two LPs, which was his I Know, I Can Find a Way in All the Coattails of Punk, Yep. right? So you've got Look Sharp and you've got um, I'm the Man. 
Uh, and those, I absolutely love those records, right? Indeed, in one of my more recent bands, The Faction, we covered I'm the Man by, um, by Joe Jackson. And it's a cracking number. Um, and there's a bit of a crossover with the old metal streak that I've been demonstrating here because, of course, uh, there's a track called, um, off the same album, called uh, Got the Time and anthrax covered that you know didn't announce it as a uh, as a joe jackson cover but that is an that's anthrax covering joe jackson Fantastic. and it is fucking amazing yeah however it's neither of those songs that i've chosen what i've chosen is the one where uh i never bought this record it's off night and day my dad bought it because all the dads were buying it Okay, and it's because that's his soft jazz crossover LP with a bit of hyper modern production, and that was what really sold it to people was the production, and it was a deliberately luxe luxurious product. It was on 180 gram vinyl, and it was heavy as fuck. The sleeve was utterly beautiful, very kind of cool jazzy kind of representation i think line drawing of a piano on the front um you know very hip kind of bit of production and the production itself was hyper 80s clean perfect it sounded amazing and the track i've uh, chosen off it uh, is the obvious one actually which uh, I forgot what it's called because <laughs> I'm ranting so much about the. Um, oh come on! It was his first number one as well, I believe. It was. It was yeah. stepping up. Yeah. Of course, of course, it's stepping up. Of course. Um, and then you know you go back and listen to it in the context of thinking about it. And again, it's got that. It's it's. I think that's obviously sequenced when you yeah. listen to it now. It's either that or they are the most stunning session musicians. Yeah. Um, but I'm certain he was probably getting into a bit of sequencing at this point. Yeah. Um, and it and you know, just thinking about all of this was oh I've loved Joe Jackson since the late seventies. Almost everything he's done. You know, he's he's a truly special artist, I think. And and once you and you go back and you do a little bit of a retrospective and you think, well, well, I was a bit naive back there, so I wasn't really listening to the lyrics. And particularly on that album, there is some stuff which is heartbreaking and which is basically him coming out through music as well. You know, that, that you know, Real Men is a fucking amazing, mind-blowing song. And I listened, I listened to the whole album again recently while I was doing the doing the housework, you know, doing the doing the hoovering, you know. And I ended up almost in tears by yeah. the end of side two, because it is really emotional. And I hadn't really clocked that kind of 40 years ago now. Yeah. Is it 40 years, 30 years? Anyway. Yeah, it is it's 40 years but, ago. Yeah, last 40 years year. ago. Yeah. And and yeah, I hadn't really clocked it then, mm. but I do now. Yeah. I'm a bit more emotionally intelligent now than I was then. 
you know yeah um but oh my god what song yes stepping out it's, it's oh, pretty it's close to beautiful. perfect yeah it's, yeah it's it's uh it's like me and my best mate one what the one of my earliest memories of him and we talk about it to this day is he's mm. recording top of the pops and us going around there and sitting there and watching joe jackson doing stepping out on there because it yeah. sat with what was going on in electronic music as well that kind of play over yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, was you know yes. i wouldn't i wouldn't throw it as synth pop but you know it'd sit on them kind of early sort of 80s pop albums yet you'd see joe jackson on like these kind of new wave and post-punk albums as well he, he just kind of yeah. he just made fucking great records <laughs> he, he really did uh, and you know you listen to those early those two early records yeah again the production's brilliant yeah you know and it's really hard to play like the guys that you play on his yeah. album it's decept sounds deceptively simple yeah you know it's not <laughs> i can imagine I can I, and imagine. i love it yeah so listen listen to that anthrax cover Oh, will they do, That's, it uh, they, they do it justice? I'm going to find it and I'm going to add it to the Spotify playlist for this part as pop well. That, um, pop that on the playlist, yeah, absolutely. Well, this is your last track, Ben, and I'm going to ask you yes. um, for a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear. Okay, right. I'm going to give you the two best seven-inch singles ever made, okay. right? And you can tell me because I know I've given you a bit of a heads up on these two. You can tell me if you'd ever heard of them before mm-hmm. uh, Before this. Um, so first is My Pal by the Aussie band God. They were about 14 or 15 when they released this. Uh, and it's just a brilliant little scream of teenage angst. Uh, again, it's the perfect pop song. Uh, the refrain is, you're my only friend, you don't even like me, right? Uh, which I think we can all identify with. And it's got the best, I'm, I'm, you know, if you'd have asked me what was the best guitar solo of all time, I'd have said that is the okay. best guitar solo of all time. It's one note yeah, feeding back, screaming for about a minute and a half. Yeah. And it's brilliant. So I love that. However, neck and neck with that set little seven inch. Oh, by, by the way, the, the, the cover of that was also absolutely perfect. It was just God in degraded capital letters yeah. on, on a red sleeve, in, in black on a red sleeve. Yeah. And that was it. You know, absolutely perfect little product. And up there with that, neck and neck, is a track called I Don't Need the Reasons by a band called The Eastern Duck, also Australian, who I was, um, uh, yeah, I can't even remember who introduced me to them. But um, I'm now mates with the former bass player on Facebook, and Bill is a fabulous guy. He ended up supporting The Descendants just last week in, in Australia with a kind of revival of one of the bands that, he'd been in because if you know you know okay uh, the eastern dark um were just i think on the verge of something great when they had an awful accident on the way back from a gig the van flipped and the singer and guitarist was killed so that's the that's the kind of thing that just stops something like that dead but in the run-up to that 
they'd done um, an album and a couple of singles. And it's just the most perfect punk pop. It's it's crystallized. It, it really crystallizes that that thing, whatever it is. But you know what? You listen to that and you slot it in your mind alongside Senseless Things and Mega City 4. You can just hear it, you know, yeah. but they preceded us yeah. by by a little by a few years, you know. But yeah, the Eastern Darkman, seriously, I would urge anyone to go out and and find it. They're on Spotify and you and you will put them on the playlist. But yes. but, but for me, I don't need the reasons is one of those absolutely perfect songs. It's got everything in it. It's got a key change. It's got a breakdown. You know, it's got uh, the harmonies. Just perfect. Yeah, I wor- I worship it. I'd, I'd never I worship, heard it. I worship. I worship Bill Gibson for being in them. You know. I've never heard either of them until um, I got your list over, and and I've been listening to them today, uh, and I can hear the senseless things in it. Hundred percent. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. And uh, oh, well, look, we, we we put together the Spotify playlist, and um, and and I, I was listening through it today, and and just once you finish listening to this episode, go and check that that, that playlist out because there's some fantastic records on there, and obviously we put a lot of um, your music on there as well, Ben. Um, what's happening with your music now? Where are you at? Uh, well, I mean, I'm now fifty eight, so I play. You know, I rehearse with my friends in the, my current band called the Charlemagne's. I have too many guitars. And so I amuse myself by kind of swapping them around and trading stuff with other people. And weirdly, I mean, I've always been a Gibson guy, all the kind of double humbucker kind of bloke. But I've kind of recently had this little bit of a fling for jazz masters, you know. So started out, I got myself a... Um, J Masker Squire, J Maskus Jazzmaster, nice. which completely flipped my thing. I don't like Fender stuff on its head, and now I've gone okay, fine. Uh, I now like Jazzmasters, so now I've gone and swapped a Gibson Explorer, you know, metal proper metal guitar, for a a Jazzmaster, uh, a proper expensive one like nearly 2,000 quids worth of Jazzmaster. And uh, once I have that repaired, <laughs> that would be great. But no, this is it, it. And it's almost like us, the new me. But anyway, I play in a band called The Charlemagne's. Um, we are a fictional um, a fictional kind of proto-punk band from somewhere in New Jersey in 1966, 67. That's the whole, that was the idea, but yeah. it's kind of grown into something a bit different. And I think we're about to go and record a double LP. Fantastic. Because we've worked up to a, a double LP's worth of songs over over lockdown. Oh, we've already got one LP out. You yeah. can look us, look us up on, um, on Bandcamp. So, you know, the first album's on there. That's rough and ready, but it's pretty good, if I do say so myself. Well, we'll add the, the Bandcamp link to the show notes as well so people can go and explore yeah. that as well. Okay. Ben, it's been an absolute delight talking records with yeah. you, mate. Thank you so much I've for really giving enjoyed up your time, it. mate. I love this shit, mate. I, I, <laughs> I, could, I, could talk, I could talk for hours about this stuff. 
Yeah. Tell you what, come, come up with a different set of questions. We'll come out doing. Oh well, we do that, Ben. We do that, and uh, we, uh, we 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 sometimes change it up, and uh, and we ask all the questions about gigs and touring, and uh, yeah. and and the songs that you you, you call from that. So uh, well, that that be that be useless for me, mate. Oh, you can't remember shit anyway, can you? <laughs> I mean, how did you, how did you feel about seeing Metallica night after night after fucking night for like five years? Oh, Jesus Christ! If I never hear Metallica again, it'll be too soon. And don't even get me started on fucking Marilyn Manson. Anyway, Ben, I'm going to press stop, but don't go anywhere. Yeah. Cheers. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Ben Harding. That was so much fun, and. As we, as I said at the beginning, we carried on having a good old natter afterwards. Um, what a top man! Um, yeah, can't thank uh, Ben enough for giving up his time and coming on and and chatting on the pod. Thanks to you lot for giving up your time to to have a good old listen. Um, I hope you had a well. If you had a fraction of the joy that I had having that chat, then you've had a good time. Um, as mentioned, why not go check out the back catalogue? There's stacks and stacks of episodes, all to be enjoyed. Go and have a little look through. There's loads of episodes. I'm sure you're going to be like, "Oh, I wonder what he chose for that." So, you know, for that question, um, go and have a good old look. And uh, everything you need to know about the podcast is on the one-stop shop, which is off the beat and trackpodcast.com. Click the show notes for all the links uh, if you can't remember that. And I will see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>